Andy, I'd suggest you turn to the sixth chapter of Isaiah. I'm going to be going line by line, precept by precept, just as they accused Isaiah of doing. We have a great worship service here. And I really am uh, thankful for Harold and for Cindy and for the leaders here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you. Whatever I say is God's fault. Because I'm just going to tell you what the Lord says here. Sixth chapter of Isaiah. It's incredible stuff. Isaiah has already been preaching. He preached through part of the reign of Uzziah the king, his cousin. And now King Uzziah died. And there's a trauma over Israel. The throne is empty. Now, some of you are old enough to remember where you were when you heard that John F. Kennedy had been shot. I was, uh, I remember specifically where I was. Uh, trauma produces a chemical in the brain called serotonin that prints everything on the brain. Uh, I can remember sitting and watching a black and white TV of the funeral. I can remember John John, little fella, saluting as his daddy went by. Same day John F. Kennedy died, a man that I consider even a greater man also died. His name was C.S. Lewis. Uh, I recommend any of his books. He had 50 books, and then several have been put out since he died. Uh, I think I've read all 50 of his books that uh, he, he is involved in. Amazing person. And you, you kids that are in high school and junior high, you should read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia is all about Jesus. And believe it or not, 700 years B.C. here, we call it B.C., I don't like that term. There's no such thing as before Christ. He always was. He always will be. He was the creator of the world. So maybe we should call it B.J.B., before Jesus was born, something like that. But there is no such thing as before Christ, okay? And yet here is 700 years before he was born. Isaiah sees him. Isaiah saw him more clearly than any of the other prophets, I believe. Look what he says. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. 
Yahweh Tzavaot, Malo Kol Ha'aretz Kabodo. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What an image this is. I don't know what you came in here for today, but I hope you get a glimpse of God. You know, we sing the songs that point us to Him. We say prayers to Him. We take communion, which is His body and blood, according to the New Testament Scriptures. I hope that the reading of the Word and the sharing of the Word will help you see Him. Just catch a glimpse of Jesus. King Uzziah died. King Uzziah got on an ego trip toward the end of his life. Decided he was going to offer incense in the temple. And when he came into the temple holding the censer in his hand, the priest stood against him and wouldn't let him come in. It's not your job, they said. And he became furious, and when he did, he broke out in leprosy. The incurable disease of the Old Testament. Only two people ever cured in the history of the Old Testament of leprosy. Done by miracle. But here Uzziah breaks out in leprosy. He can no longer be among people. He can no longer be on the throne. And he spends the rest of his life rotting away, literally. Leprosy takes away the ability to feel pain. Dr. Paul Brand tells about trying to unlock a door to get into his office one time in a leper colony where he worked. And a little boy came up and said, let me try, doctor. And he just took the key and turned it. And the doctor grabbed the kid's hand and looked, and he had cut himself clear to the bone and didn't know it. That's what leprosy does to you. And so here's a man, because of his arrogance, he was afflicted with leprosy, and he died. And Isaiah is thinking of an empty throne, and he goes to church. He goes into the temple. And he sees someone sitting on a throne. And the words that are used there, high and exalted, are used elsewhere in Isaiah for mountain peaks and clouds. He went into a building that was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. But the building, as C.S. Lewis says, was bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. He walked in and suddenly he could see into the heavens. His eyes were opened. What, a, what an amazing thing for a prophet to be able to see something like this. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne. Look at the word Lord. Look carefully. I mentioned this in Sunday school. When the word Lord is not capitalized all the way through, it's referring to the human figure of God. It's referring to the Messiah, Jesus. Look down in verse 3 where the seraphs are singing. And they sing not to the one seated on the throne, but to his father. You see the difference in the word Lord down there? Capitalized all the way through. So the human figure of God is God, and yet he's not all there is of God. John tells us in the New Testament, John 12, 41. 
that Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of him. That's what this passage is about. He comes into the temple. The temple is open. He looks up into the sky. He sees one with his head in the clouds. The train of his robe completely fills the temple. There's really no room for Isaiah in there. And then his eyes are drawn even higher, and he sees these seraphs. One of my students asked me once if these were deputy sheriffs, uh, county sheriffs. No, no. No, a seraph, the word seraph is the same word as our word serpent. You see the S, R, and P there, seraph. Serpent also has that in it. I did a study on the word. I found out that the verb form, seraph, means to burn with fire. But the noun form means a snake. And when you look here, we've got snakes that are burning with fire, breathing fire and smoke. And their wings, they have six wings, amazing. Revelation talks about six wings, six wings creatures always being around the throne of God. And these creatures are covering their face because they're in the presence of holiness. And they're embarrassed. And they're covering their feet because they feel dirty in His presence. Job says God finds fault even with his angels. What chance does mortal man have? This is not an angel. This is a seraph. A great winged dragon breathing fire and smoke. See, when God creates something in this world, he creates something in the other world that's better. When he made the bull in this world, he had already made a winged bull in heaven. That's what a cherub is, a cherub. It's a winged bull made of gold sitting on the ark with its head bowed and its wings out in front of it. And the wings of the two cherubs almost meet. And that's the mercy seat where God rides on top of this thing. Scripture describes God as riding on a tornado of fire that moves like lightning. And it has huge wheels all filled with eyes. We don't know all the things that are in the next world. God created the spirit world first. It's superior to us in the physical world. When Isaiah sees these creatures flying, They're shouting so loud that they shake the place. And as they shout, smoke fills the building. And he can no longer see the one seated on the throne. God is holy, holy, holy. It's always three. We talked about this this weekend. God's number is three. He is one, but He is three. Isaiah recognizes what these creatures are crying to God. And they are, did you know that they never stop saying this? Book of Revelation chapter 4 says, they never stop saying, holy, 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 because they're in the presence 
of the Almighty God who is holy. And they can't help themselves. You know, we, we look at a sunset or we look at the ocean or we see Niagara Falls and we say how beautiful that is. But God is the creator of all beauty. How beautiful must he be? No wonder they can't help themselves. He's not just holy, he's huge. When Isaiah sees the human figure of God, his head's up in the clouds. How big is God really? Is he a figure on a throne with his head in the clouds? How big is God? I like to read about the universe, and I've got several books from the Time Life series that I go through. And I looked at a comparison of the sizes, the relative sizes of the different celestial bodies. And, you know, the earth looked like a period at the end of a sentence, and then it showed the sun, you know, looks big. And then pretty soon you start looking, and you realize... You can put 12,000 of the Earth inside the planet Jupiter and shake it and it would still rattle. And you could take 12,000 of Jupiter and put it inside the Sun and shake it and it'd still rattle. You could take 12 billion of the Sun and put it inside the, the huge star Antares and shake it, if you're big enough, and it would still rattle. You go outside and look at the sun, don't do this because it will sear your optic nerve. But if you were to do that, you would see light that was eight minutes old. It takes light eight minutes to go from the sun to your eye. And the sun is shining in all directions in space. Eight minutes. If the North Star had blown up 164 years ago, we wouldn't know it because the North Star is 165 years away. Light years. A light year is so many trillion miles, something like six trillion miles. We, that doesn't even compute with us. Light travels fast enough to go around the Earth seven and a half times in one second. But the Hubble telescope, have you seen the Spacewalkers working on the telescope this week. My brother had a part in putting that up. He was one of two government advisors over the manned space project, my older brother. Every satellite that's been put up has had to go through his office. Every satellite put up by the United States. He's retired now. He carried a beeper for a couple of years. They needed him to do some troubleshooting, but an amazing guy. He'd sit and watch TV with me, and all of a sudden he'd jump up and run the other room and <clears throat> write something down, and later I'd go over and look at it, and the formula. I had no idea what it was. Uh, just thinking all the time, ideas in the back of his mind. And he told me about the Hubble telescope when it first went up. He told me before it went up. He said, we'll be able to see things we've never seen before. Have any of you seen what the, t the Hubble telescope has revealed? The Internet. Look up Hubble, and you'll find pictures. They're putting a new thing in there now, about the size of a grand piano, that's going to be 14 times more powerful than what we're seeing now. So far, we found out that the Milky Way, of which we are a part, 
is one of the smallest galaxies. There's only a billion trillion stars in the Milky Way. What's that mean? More than you could ever count, and yet they now see that there are other galaxies. The word galaxy, I like that word. Galaga is the Greek word for milk. That's why we call it the Milky Way. There are other galaxies out there. How many? So far, more than two billion galaxies they've discovered that are bigger than our own Milky Way. How big is God? Psalm 8 says He put them there with His fingers. He's like an artist creating a postage stamp. All of space. And He transcends it all. Paul says we have one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. Penetrating to the core of the atom beyond the farthest star. If you took the sun and moved it out and put in its place the great star called Antares, it would engulf the orbits of Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and another hundred million miles in all directions in space. It takes light an hour to travel the diameter through the middle of that thing. Huge. And God made it. See, if we can just get a glimpse of God, He's bigger than anything we can imagine. C.S. Lewis says our highest thoughts are sheer idolatry compared to how big God really is. And here Isaiah sees him. Catch a glimpse. Just a glimpse of God. And look what, he, look what happens. The place shakes. Can hardly stand the presence that's there. And Isaiah shouts, Woe to me! I'm ruined! I'm a man! That could have been enough right there. But he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. And when you catch a glimpse of God, you also catch a glimpse of yourself. And when you do, you'll see how sinful you really are. When you compare yourself to God, all your spots and blemishes show up. And the first thing out of his mouth after he sees God, the smoke fills the place. He can no longer see him. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips. This is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And he says he's got unclean lips. Anybody in this room with unclean lips? I don't want you to raise your hand. We're all guilty, aren't we? When you see God, the first thing you need to do is confess your sins. When you come to church, confess your sins. I couldn't live without 1 John 1, 9. He says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and righteous in order that he may forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins. You are forgiven. And guess what? In the, in the Greek verb that John is using, 
He says, we keep on confessing our sins, but they were forgiven back at the cross. You don't, for, you don't confess to get forgiven. You confess because you are forgiven. And he confesses. And in this huge room, God hears him. God knows what's going on in Isaiah, just like he knows what's going on in us. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Imagine a dinosaur with wings flying, holding out a red-hot coal with tongs in his hand to touch your lips. See, God always applies the blood to the part that's unclean. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and this creature takes the hot coal from the altar, the place of sacrifice under the blood, and takes that and applies it to his lips. And look what the seraph says. Behold, see, these great winged creatures can talk. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Those are past tense. Taken and atoned for. It's already happened. Then I heard a voice. See, here's what's happened in worship. You see God. You see yourself. You confess your sins. You receive cleansing. And then God gives you a commission. Look what he says. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? See, he can't see him anymore, but he can hear his voice. And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. But the Hebrew text actually indicates that he's shouting this because he says, look at me, send me. He's like an ant crawling out from under a leaf and looking up at a human being. He wants to get his attention as though he didn't already have it. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Notice he doesn't say, go tell my people. Isaiah is surrounded by Israel. That's all he talks to is the people of Judah. But God doesn't call them my people anymore. He calls them this people. I heard somebody talking this week about whether we are a Christian nation anymore. Well, all I know is 91 million people go to church every Sunday on an average. Did you know that? In this country, 91 million. There are 365 million people in the country. 91 million is more than, than go to all sports in the country in a year. Talking about professional sports. You know, all the people that go to these football games and fill stadiums and so on, it doesn't add up to 91 million. A whole year of that, there's still more that goes to church. But what I wonder is how many people that go to church actually see God, actually confess their sins, actually receive forgiveness, and actually get a cleansing message from God. 
Here's your, here's your job, he says, Isaiah. Go out and tell this people, hear and hear, is what the Hebrew text says. Hearing they hear and do not understand. Seeing they see, but they never perceive. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. He says, go out and preach to them that they're not going to listen. I wonder how many of us have calloused hearts. You know, I love to meet tender-hearted Christians. New Christians especially. The ones that haven't heard it all over and over and over. Because they're so excited. And they're so open. And I'm trying. You know, I've been a Christian now. I became a Christian when I was 20. And I was a, a sinful person like Isaiah, only worse. I'd been hooked on pornography for many years. I struggled with pornography. After I became a Christian, I had to feed the baby that came into me, the Holy Spirit, and stop feeding the 20-year-old man. I had to break habits. Habits are hard to break. You get convolutions in your brain that just repeat and repeat and repeat. And even with all the healing I've received since then, God delivered me when I was 37 years old from pornography. I struggled with it as a Christian for 17 years. And when I was delivered from it, more than 30 years ago, I knew that God was working in my life. I was one. I, I pray and hope to God that I'm not one of these people that hear and hear and hear and hear and don't listen and see and don't get it. I hope that my heart will be open always to the Word. And I hope your heart's open. God has a commission for you, too. We need to go tell this people. They have a friend in Jesus that he's already taken their sins away on the cross. What a great message we have, folks. Much better than this one. This one sounds hopeless. Isaiah says, how long do I have to do this? And God says, until everybody's gone, until there's nobody left in the land, until there's no houses left standing. See, they had a pretty negative thing coming. Babylonian captivity. The whole nation was going to be destroyed and the Jewish state was going to be broken and everybody's going to be taken away. But we have a positive hope and a positive message. And that is that Jesus Christ takes away the sin of the world. Not the church. The world. The world is forgiven on Calvary. Paul says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. It's a wonderful message we have. Much better than Isaiah's message. Go out and tell people, you've been forgiven. Somebody died for your sin.
Let me tell you about him. He's my friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so great that you created the universe that you put together and hold together the atom that you gave us minds to struggle and try to understand what you've done and as your word says it's impossible for us to find out everything you've done from beginning to end thank you for the awesome pictures of the Hubble telescope that shows us your awesome, infinite creativity. And Father, thank you that even though you're so great, you're here with us today. You're listening to my prayer. You're reading my thoughts. Before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it all together. It's too wonderful for us to understand. You know each one of us. You know our hearts. You know our dreams and our hopes and our thoughts. We confess our sin to you, Father. We confess that we are sinners and we need your forgiveness. And we thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. We have a hope of being like him in the resurrection. I pray, Father, you'll bless minister and his wife and the, his kids, his family. I pray that you'll bless this church and the leaders. I pray that the message here will always be one of power and purity and truth and freedom and forgiveness. In Jesus' name.